You are listening to Moving On With Pain, the podcast. This podcast is presented by the Danish Society for Pain and Physiotherapy. This episode is created with and for the European Pain Federation, EFIC. If you'd like to watch the following content in video format, you can visit the EFIC Facebook page and head to videos. We hope you enjoy today's episode. And welcome back, everyone. Today, for the final talk of the day here at the European Pain Conference in Valencia, it is my pleasure. By the way, I'm Dr. Morten Ho. I'm from Denmark. I'm a pain science clinician, call it whatever you want. But it is my pleasure to interview Professor Candy McCabe from the UK. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank so you. you were the first nurse we have here. Mm-hmm. Oh, and good. Yeah, really, it is. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we have one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you are a researcher, of course, so you have a PhD, mm-hmm. uh, which you did in 2004. Yeah. And we researched the year 2004, and it turns out that 2004 was the year that Facebook was invented. Very good. So Very good. that's sort of everyone coming together there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I read your resume... I noticed that you trained as a nurse at St. Thomas's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, that, that's where you did your basic training, right? Yes, sure. Yeah. And St. Thomas's is famous for a one specific nurse. Absolutely. So Florence Nightingale exactly. established nursing and the training school was at St. Thomas's. And uh, yeah, I graduated as a Florence Nightingale nurse. So yeah, and I um, have always had an affiliation with... Florence Nightingale from then on, really. Uh, she was a phenomenal woman, a cantankerous woman, a difficult woman. Uh, but that was why she was so successful. She uh, fought against the government to improve hygiene, to improve healthcare, to improve architecture so that healthcare was improved. She really was and sorted out statistics for us. So uh, an amazing individual. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that I still am associated with the Florence Nightingale Foundation I'm one of their, they have eight Florence Nightingale Foundation professors across the UK. So I'm, yeah, really fortunate to still be connected with that organization. That's amazing. And after you did your training, you transferred to Bath or was that directly after? Or? Uh, a few years later. So I um, went from London down to Bristol and did some clinical jobs and then moved with my husband over abroad for a while. And then we came back. To Bath, and eventually I found myself hunting for a job with small children, and uh, started my first research job. So you sort Bath. of stumbled into research. Rather stumbled into it. It fitted around collecting the children. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the truth of it. So there was no master plan, and it meant that yeah, I could drop them at school, pick them up at the end of the day, and I could do a. A job no, that paid, hour, uh, and that was so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was um, yeah. So I started in rheumatology research, and it was at the time when they were just starting to get uh, clinical nurse specialists. So until that Remind point, mind me, what is that? So a clinical nurse specialist is somebody who works in a, a specialized area. They tend to see the same patients on a consecutive basis. They have a higher level of practice. And they were started in the areas of diabetes, in areas of stomach care. So people who were needing really very specific interventions where nurses' educational skills 
in terms of education for patients work really, really well. And when I started at the rheumatology hospital, they were just starting to think maybe in these chronic patients, it would be great to have specialist nurses who were delivering the education about joint protection, helping people manage their pain. And so I was really fortunate as a research nurse, I slowly morphed into becoming a rheumatology specialist nurse and eventually a consultant rheumatology nurse once Fantastic. I heard. Yeah. yeah. So and speaking was, of, of specialist nurse, indeed, we just got the new uh, core curriculum. So now nurses can actually read what they're supposed to know about pain. Absolutely. Do you think it's going to be helpful? I really hope it will be. I think the crucial thing is about moving it out from the print into the practice. And that's where the difference will happen. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to talk about it a lot, use it a lot in practice, demonstrate how that learning helps patients. And actually, the nurses are the only ones who so far have been uh, endorsed by other organizations. So this curriculum is the first one to be endorsed broader. Fantastic. By the nurse specialist, uh, what is it, the European Specialist, specialist yeah. Nurse Organization, yeah. which is uh, quite an achievement, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the people you just talked about, their organization recognizes this. And yeah. in 2021, so a good two years from now, mm-hmm. you can do an exam as well in this. So one and a half year. Fantastic. That would be, yeah, great. Yeah. We, we desperately need accessible training. It's yeah. really difficult now to, it is. to access any sort of training, either and, for cost or for time. And if you don't know what so, to learn, then how are you going to do it? Then yeah, you're yeah. just going to you know, do what everyone does. Sure, and, sure. And there's room for improvement, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Because you work in probably the most complicated field of pain mm-hmm. there is. Mm-hmm. I, I know some people would say that it might be different, but to me at least, I think what, what we refer to as CRPS, mm-hmm is the most complex thing. But before we go into that, could you explain to me what is CRPS and what does it stand for? Maybe what was it called before? Sure. So uh, CRPS stands now for Complex Regional Pain Syndrome. It often gets muddled with Chronic Regional Pain Syndrome, but it's really, it's complex. It used to be called... Can you talk me through it? So complex, why complex? So uh, once you know a little bit more about the condition, you very quickly see why it's complex. So it commonly happens after trauma, surgery, and it's... uh, usually associated with an arm or a leg. And for example, if you've had a fracture of your wrist, you would expect perhaps six, seven weeks, bit of discomfort. Once it's come out of the plaster, everything should be fine. But in complex regional pain syndrome, what happens is commonly an individual who's fractured that arm will quite quickly complain of pain that's greater than they expected. They may also report that the cast feels a bit tight, it's uncomfortable, they go back to have it changed. But The technician looks at it and says, no, it doesn't seem tight, but the patient perceives that it's much bigger. And then when the cast eventually comes off, then often that limb is very altered in temperature compared to the unaffected side. The patient may have thick hair, long nails, really quite bizarre symptoms. Or conversely, they may have a very shiny, hairless skin with shortened nails. They will have, in addition to the swelling, they'll have color changes. But the top thing is the pain. And the pain will feel so severe and be greater than the fracture site. And as these bone heals, unfortunately, the symptoms don't settle. 
and the pain continues. And so for people experiencing complex regional pain syndrome, it's a really confusing condition. First, they've never heard of it. It seems, you know, and you just never come an across angle, this. Uh, a wrist Absolutely. You, and and yeah. then all of a sudden you're there and, and it's it's very painful as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So so people won't want clothing on the affected area, may not be able to wear a sock or a shoe because if they've got pain in their foot, commonly they won't be able to tolerate the bedclothes at night over that affected limb. So the pain is significant. Yeah. And, and there's changes almost in, every, so even in the bones, like the sudic changes, sure. so there's changes to everything. Yes. And it's it's regional, isn't it? So it, it's a hand or a it could probably be both, but that'd be rare, isn't sure. it? So it's usually just one it limb, is. isn't it? Yes, it can spread, but it's really unusual. Yeah. Um, and but it can spread up the limb. And for people, it's it's not only distressing in terms of the pain, but it's distressing in terms of the perceptions that they have about that limb. So they may feel that the limb no longer belongs to them, that it feels quite alien to them, feels quite altered in size and shape. So you can see why it's called complex yeah, regional pain yeah. syndrome. Uh, really, a, yeah, a very challenging condition to live and, with. And what are the what are sort of the prognosis for a patient who has been diagnosed with this? So the vast majority of people make a spontaneous recovery. So we think around about 60, 70% of people within six months or so, symptoms should be settling. Ideally, the more the person is moving their limb, engaging with it, that increases the chances of getting better. And then there's somewhere between 20, 30% of people who will continue to get ongoing problems. The degree to which those problems affect them will vary across the individuals. Um, But some people will live with chronic pain through the rest of their lives. And that's a very small minority, but for those people, it's life-changing. And maybe this would be a good place to sort of get into your... Was there any any more background that you think is important for for people who don't have uh, a background in, in health to understand what complex regional pain syndrome is? So you will be going back and forth presenting with these strange things. And in the example of a fracture, everything's healed up. So it's very difficult for them to understand it. So uh, I would say it's really important to stress these strangenesses and to consider whether this might be complex regional pain syndrome. The quicker it's diagnosed, the quicker the person encouraged to move, use that limb, have the appropriate painkillers then the better chance we have of helping these people to make a good recovery Um, there is traditionally there's two types of it type one and type two type two it used to be called corsalgia and was related to whether there was a major nerve damaged as well but the international pain community now, in fact, we've met over the last couple of days, and we really want to stress that it's a diagnosis of complex regional pain syndrome. There's these subgroups beneath it of type 1 and type 2, but in terms of the treatment, it really makes no difference. No. Um, it's complex. It's complex. Yeah. <laughs> it's complex, yeah. Has this always... So the, the causalgia came about, I think the first description was during the American um, yeah. Civil War, wasn't it? Absolutely, the, uh, who, who had a very vivid description of people having gunshots and yes. then developing these weird symptoms that he called corsalgia yeah. afterwards. He, yeah, he has some beautiful descriptions in his writing of soldiers who uh, had bullet wounds to their limbs and uh, the expectation that it would heal up. 
And he talks about seeing one of these soldiers a year later where he's still got a cloth wrapped around his limb and he keeps it constantly wet to try and keep the temperature down. And just really distressing images. Has it been around forever, you think? I I think it's difficult to tell. I mean, he describes it very beautifully. Uh, It's been called so many different names over history. Uh, You know, in terms of, in Europe, it's been called 50 different names. So it's impossible to track those sorts of conditions. Um, Yeah, Uh, who's to know? But it's difficult to believe why it wouldn't have been, in all honesty. Um, Yeah, I I really want to know what you said in that plenary lecture now. So it's it's over. Nobody can go and see it anymore. Mm. So this is the last chance to know what you said about it. And you are the leading expert, aren't you? So... So, so the plenary lecture was very much more about interdisciplinary working and the benefits and of interdisciplinary inter, What does interdisciplinary work and that, mean that's to you? That's a really good question. Uh, and that I describe within the plenary about the difference between unidisciplinary, multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary. And uh, the example I gave was a unidisciplinary was when I first started out in rheumatology working and I lived in one office, the doctor lived in the other office. We both saw patients, we both knew what we were doing, but we rarely discussed that patient. But we had clear guidelines and things about what each yeah. of us did. And then, So it's common practice that more persons with different disciplines or different professions see the same patient. Yeah, so so in terms of when we when the patient becomes more complex, you yeah. need that multidisciplinary working of having multiple professions: the occupational therapist, physio, psychologist, um, and they also will be delivering their interventions, but commonly in parallel. And then you move to interdisciplinary, where it's very much it's still a multidisciplinary approach. Still got lots of different healthcare professionals, but you are working together with a shared vision, a shared goal for that patient, constantly communicating. And the beauty is in that sort of working, you create something unique, something new, different than the individual professions would do on their own. And that's what you need for really complex patients. And and why why would you have a plenary? That seems so... It seems so obvious, doesn't it? And yet it's because of the perceived expense of that working. But the literature all demonstrates that it's highly cost-effective, it improves patient outcomes, it improves uh, adherence to evidence-based practice. And so there are so many benefits, but the, it's the, the challenges at the moment of moving back into that team sort of working um, due to perceived financial cost of having an interdisciplinary team. So if you were to give a qualified guess about the... So let's say three things that someone took from your plenary lecture. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if they wanted to tweet it, there's only a limited amount of sure. characters. Yeah. So if you wanted to, to condense it down to something that could be in a tweet, yep. what do you think they would say about your lecture or your plenary lecture? I hope they'd say that complex pain is multifaceted. It affects social, psychological, physical, functional attributes of person. Therefore, you can't have a single intervention you need a team approach and interdisciplinary working will deliver that for you because i think that is one thing that we maybe not focusing enough on is how this affects the whole person Mm -hmm. but also how people around that person is affected by it because i can imagine so i've seen patients as well with crps Mm -hmm. and usually they'll be young girls Mm -hmm. that's the ones i've seen okay uh, I don't know if that's stereotypical, but it, it, at least my patients have been like that. Okay. And 
I find that it's equally important to address the parents. Yeah. As as the child. Sure. Would you agree, or is that something you would see? Or? I think in children and young people. It's absolutely crucial that the parents, the school, uh, siblings are all involved in that care. When it comes to an adult, then it's really the significant people in that person's life yeah. who you need to involve, uh, and the impact on them is significant too. Uh, and that's often not acknowledged, and there can be a lot of um, miscommunication between the patient and their family members. In What would they miscommunicate about? So it seems obvious. I have a hand that is yeah. weird, it looks weird, and it hurts. Sure. Isn't that... So I think that the challenge is that constantly living in chronic pain, yeah. you know that your other family member doesn't want to hear that every single day. And yet, and equally, if you go out and start to behave and trying to do things, they may perceive actually the pain's gone. That isn't the case. The pain's still there, but you are doing things despite the pain. Similarly, sometimes people are overhelpful, and they think you must sit there. You've got pain; do nothing, and therefore they run around and do everything around you. That's no help whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You lose your functional role, you lose your independence. So it's about being able to express what you do need, what you don't need, and then that may vary every day. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's how it is. So you already mentioned being active, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're saying uh, education is also very important for these these people. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. What yeah. else? Would, what I mean, that is probably very common for most chronic pain conditions. Sure. Is there anything that you would say in terms of interventions that are more commonly used or maybe well documented in CRPS, which is less commonly used in other types of chronic pain like fibromyalgia or back pain? Yeah, I think um, I guess in complex regional pain syndrome, it's very much the focus is about moving a limb that you do not wish to move, mm. and so I think more so perhaps than in other conditions. The challenge is that you perceive that limb isn't yours. You hate it. You, it's easier to not engage with it. It's easier to dislike it. It's easier to ignore it and move your attention away from it. And it feels wrong to attend to it and move it. And actually, we know that is really the best approach. And so patients talk about having a two two sided argument in their heads. Yeah, yeah. The therapist told me I need to do this. My brain's telling me I want yeah. to do things, uh, and our brains are great at creating all kinds of myths about what we believe is true. Yeah. Most of the time, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, is it true that like mirror therapies and these type of things, where you, where you try to engage with the nervous system, not necessarily the arm itself, but go maybe through the eyes to the nervous system sure. and engage that way? Is that something that's used in CRPS? So. Uh, What we want to do is to help people refine the information that they're currently not processing, uh, and therefore we will use a range of different techniques to help them refine that information. And for each individual, it's going to be something different. Yeah. So for some people, giving them the illusion that they've got a normal operating limb will reduce their pain, enable them to move it. That doesn't work for everyone. For no. other people, it's about the particular um, being able to do a movement and be encouraged to do that in water and have a function to that, and that will help them. For other people, they may need some psychological support to get over the trauma associated with the injury related yeah. to that limb. So it's all about finding that individual's way that you get back into the information that's still sitting there, but it's just not being processed. Yeah. Uh, so, and that it always seems a note of hope that we're saying it hasn't gone, 
that information that you feel in your unaffected limb is exactly the same in the affected limb, but you're just not choosing to process it at the moment. So how can we get in there and help you find that information? That sounds very reasonable and like what we should do. I mean, to pretty much all our patients, isn't it? Absolutely. But maybe it takes, <laughs> it, it probably requires some experience and some skills, but sure. basically it's, it's looking at what each patient needs. Yeah. So in terms of, so we call them patients, but they're not really patients. They're people, aren't they? They're you and I. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and they could be you and I. We, we yeah. wouldn't know if, if we were, you know, uh, one day and it could happen to us, couldn't it? Sure. sure. So if, if it happens to someone I care about, mm-hmm. what would your advice be for me if it happens to someone I care about? So to be non-judgmental, to mm-hmm. believe their pain, to... Uh, accept that they are in pain even though you may not see that you may they may describe all kinds of strange things that they perceive their limb to look like you won't see that and they can feel doubted and unlistened to so accept do what is helpful and don't be over helpful and does that then mirror into what the person with the crps should know that it's okay to be in pain and they should communicate about it. Yeah, and I think that's really, really difficult. It's really difficult. We, we don't, um, as, as children, we are brought up about acute pain models. We're never really taught. So acute pain models would be when you, when you hurt if you, your If you in, injure your yourself, yeah, yeah, then exactly. it would be normal to feel pain. Yeah. What we never learn is that actually your brain is completely capable of generating pain. And therefore, it's possible to see somebody with pain who looks just like you sitting there. Yeah. And that's that's not something that in the general public we understand and know about generally. Yeah. So that so it's it's really tough. Yeah. yeah. So I guess September month as pain awareness month is mm-hmm. there's still some some work to be done, isn't there? A lot of work yeah. to be done. Yeah. So yeah. if if in 10, 15 years time you sat here again and we discussed what happened in between what, what would you be saying on the plenary in 10 or 15 years do you reckon so what I'd would you hope to be you, saying I'd be telling you much more about uh, conditions where people are living with life limiting conditions uh, so that is where my research interests are moving to uh, because I'm uh, very interested in the fact that now we're living longer but there are people who are living longer with a number of concurrent conditions and their quality of life is very poor. And I think multidisciplinary rehabilitation may be a very helpful intervention in that population who traditionally spend a lot of time just going from one specialist to the next, focused on their particular condition rather than a team approach about let's see what you need as an individual rather than what your heart needs, your your osteoarthritis needs and all the rest of it. So that's where my work is going. Yeah. 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 Well, I hope that you'll be saying that in less than 10 years, but we'll have <laughs> yeah, to wait and see. We'll wait and see. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Now, go and enjoy that glass of wine. I know yeah, you, you I have will to do. serve. And yeah, I, I really look forward to reading your research. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.